Welcome to Life and Godliness. I am your host, Joanna Simpson, otherwise known as Josim. So many of us are struggling, stuck, lost, wounded, and hopeless when Jesus came so we could be free and live an abundant life. He wants us to enjoy him and enjoy life. But how can we truly do this if we are bogged down by life's problems? Well, Life and Godliness with Josim hopes to help persons enjoy life with Christ by sharing Christ-inspired solutions to everyday problems and digging up deep-rooted mindsets that skew our perception of the Father. To quote a popular artist, life is hard, but God is good, and he's patient in our journeys. So join us as we talk about life and godliness. Hi friends, welcome back to the eighth episode of Life and Godliness with Joe. This week, we are continuing to discuss biblical leadership and spiritual authority. We are joined again by Bruce Lengeman, who has lived his life in the people helping arena as a church planter, youth pastor, senior pastor, counselor, and business consultant and writer. He and his wife, Ruthie, have nine children and a fast growing number of grandchildren. Join us as we explore biblical leadership and how to create a kingdom culture. This is part two of the two-part series on biblical leadership and spiritual authority. So jump back in with me. How do we know what's the right type of honor? What is biblical? Um, what is a biblical way of honoring authority? Let me tell you this. We have one head and that head is Christ. And there is no, no person in the multitude of people that I shepherd and father and lead that needs to obey me short of obeying the Holy Spirit. My role in their life is to lead them to the head, which is Christ. Mm. And it's only God that can tell them what to do. Now, can I be a voice in their life and a very strong voice in their life? Can I challenge them? Can I rebuke them? Can that thing happen? But it's not so they obey me. It's so that that I can help them make functional decisions and follow what God is really saying to them. Mm. And and so the honor I get, and I do get honor from these people. I mean, my Ruthie and I, we have tremendous amount of honor, but we've never asked for the honor. We've never demanded the honor. Mm. Our honor comes from their voluntary deference, giving deference to Ruthie and I, because they know we care, they know we love them, and they know that all we're doing is leading them to the place where they can make their own sound decisions in the Holy Spirit. But That's- the scripture says, obey your leaders and submit to them in everything. So- it does not say in everything. Okay. That's uh, Hebrews 13, 17, is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I quote oh, correctly. Right. And I say that's one verse. And, and you see... The danger with this is taking these scriptures that were said for a specific purpose, and then we apply them to every situation. Mm. I believe I believe that. I believe there's a place in leadership that people need to obey, but in the Holy Spirit. It's not saying just blindly do it. And so that verse is valid in its place. Let me give an example. This is what people do that are wrong. Okay, I mean, it, I apply wrongly. Okay, mm-hmm. like Jesus said, give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, give it back. Okay, this whole phrase, give to everyone that asks of you. Mm-hmm. We we need to apply wisdom to what Jesus was saying, 
because one of the Hebrew styles and one of the places of Hebrew communication that the Hebrews understand is that there's many times Jesus made an extreme statement to prove a point. Now, he was teaching in that passage about being willing to give and give to those who need and don't ask for anything back. Mm-hmm. But he was certainly not saying that I'm supposed, if, if, if some drug addict comes up to the street and asks me for money and I know he's going to buy drugs, it don't mean I'm going to give him any money. <laughs> no. We have to apply wisdom to know the heart of what God was saying. And I'm, so I know a lot of leaders in that verse in Hebrews 13 and they over apply it to something that violates the rest of the scripture. And that's a very important point, Bruce. Because I think what happens a lot of times is almost as though when we um, become Christians, is it almost as though we feel like we should become doormats, you know, and just allow everybody to do everything, you know, um, not necessarily have much discretion where certain things are concerned because we're giving, we're doing what God asks, you know. Um, and so it, it's interesting that this, this conversation is in a sense taking the tone of boundaries. That, yes, we are called to do these things, but what's the context? What are the boundaries? You know, and the fact that God does tell us to use wisdom, you know, so it's not just applying certain things in isolation, but it's doing it in the context of the whole Bible, you know, in in, in the context of the entire scriptures. Yes. And um, (laughs) uh, I think that, honestly, the boundaries come. We cannot fully discern how to live until we know who we are Mm. and until we have taken our wounds to our wounds to the cross now i want to tell you why god sometimes leaves us in abusive situations i will tell you this okay because he's trying to get us off the throne of our life Where we, and we might be 95% off the throne of our life, but when something happens that we don't like, we run right back to that throne. Yeah. I talked to the church earlier this year about the getting off the throne of your life and, and the different stages, but the places where, where I said, where are the places where you still uh, allow yourself to stay on the throne of your life? And literally, I asked if everybody wanted to come up and and just renounce the throne of their life and say, God, you have all. And I kid you not, 90% of the church came to the altar. I mean, some in tears and just like realizing that they've been on the throne of your life. Well, God puts us in the situations so that he can get, that he can get control of our life. Mm. And that's why Paul said, I am in labor. He meant childbirth, Paul said. He says, I am in labor through Christ informed in you. And so we need to know. I mean, uh, literally, people need to sit down and listen to what is it, Sinach, or how do you pronounce it? Yeah, the, I know who I am. <laughs> they need to sit down and listen to that day after day after day until it gets into the heart and they learn. I know who I am, and I'm not going to let the devil let my past define my present because it will destroy my future. But I am a new creature in Christ Jesus, and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in me. 
and I've been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and I am complete in him, and I have access to all spiritual blessings, and he has overcome the world, and on and on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just to be a little bit more specific, if my pastor is saying X, but I truly believe God is saying Y, how should I deal with that? How should I address that? Um, Joanna, it would it would it would depend on the situation. Okay, mm-hmm. for example, if uh, a leader has authority over his own vision, over the place where God has given his authority. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, the difference is if he is a if it's in a high, hierarchical place where um, the leader said it, that settles it, you know, then there's trouble. But I, right or wrong, in any situation I go into, I don't violate the authority of that house. That doesn't mean the authority of that house is right. It just means I don't violate the authority. I go in and I honor the authority of the house. That doesn't mean I have to agree with it or do it. But a leader has to make decisions for himself. He has to make, now, the way we do it, we 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 have leaders. You know, in the two churches I oversee, there's pastors. But they surround themselves with healthy teams mm. that 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 they surround themselves with healthy teams that have the freedom to challenge, the freedom to disagree in, in a loving way. It's a state I create in in my mentoring of teams. I create a safe environment where everyone can be who they are because that's the way we get to the answers. And so, yes, we have a leader, but it's not a leader who says, I'm Jesus Christ in this church. He's the leader that says, I'm disappointed to lead, but I need every one of you to help me lead. I need all your gifts. Mm. Okay. And so when you disagree with something, you can appeal. If you have a healthy leader, you can appeal. But if it's a crucial matter that has to do with something that you don't actually believe in and you're compromising your faith, you can't go along with it. I don't care what the leader says. You could not go along with something that violates your your spiritual integrity. Mm. So what what's interesting to me is that, for example, when you were talking a while ago, you said you have to honor, but it doesn't mean you have to agree or do it. So if you are supposed to clearly outline what honoring a leader would look like for you, what would you, how would you describe it? Um, <clears throat> I, I think honoring a leader is <clears throat> honoring the authority that God has given them to lead the vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean you always agree. I, I think it, it, <clears throat> there are things that may be um, choice and preference things that a leader might do that, I would never do. I mean, the two lead pastors that I mentor, that I oversee the churches, I wouldn't do everything that they do. Mm-hmm. I don't even agree with everything they do. Mm-hmm. 
but they're not violating spiritual integrity. Mm-hmm. And so I, but they have their call. And so they have to lead the only way they know how to lead. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of their wives wouldn't even agree with everything, but that's okay. That's a normal process. Ruthie doesn't agree with everything I do, but you know what? We talk about it and she allows me to lead in that way. And sometimes I come back and say, oh, I was wrong. And sometimes she comes back and says, you know, I was wrong, you know, but that's just the way it is, you know. Okay, so let me take you to another place. And this is very important, Joanna. Mm -hmm. I know and very aware of that every bit as much as people have been abused and wounded in church, that good leaders have been wounded by the people. Mm. It's a a two-way street. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot and we want to talk about spiritual abuse. I've been on both sides. Mm. But I I was with a bunch of leaders this week who had stories about spiritual abuse from people who rose up against them, Jezebel spirits, rebellion, insecure people in the congregation that betrayed or or, uh, gossiped. And so we we really have to realize, and and that's why this is a complex situation, there's no ABC, is because many, many leaders get called abusive. Leading is controlling, is control. You have to control. But there's a difference between control, healthy control, and unhealthy control. Mm-hmm. Many times, leaders who are exerting healthy control get called controlling. Mm-hmm. Many times, people rise up against something that's healthy and something that God is doing. And then what you have is you have wounded leaders even when they were doing something right. Mm-hmm. So I telling you this from both sides. Mm-hmm. I've, I've counseled a lot of pastors that have been unfairly abused by people in their congregation. So mm-hmm. so this is complex. It's, a, it's not just an ABC, you know, fix it here, fix it there type, type yeah. message. You know? And what does that look like in terms of the congregation, somebody from the congregation? So you spoke about gossip. You spoke about um, a Jezebel spirit. You spoke about rebellion. What does that look like? I I have learned to sense it and discern it, okay, because of my experience. Like I say, I'm 66 years old, so <laughs> I don't know how old you are, but I'm I you know I'm 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 getting Medicare, you know. But <laughs> but anyways, because I've been around and I've been in a lot of different denominations, but I will just give you an illustration of of you know we uh, I don't I don't have a lot of people rising up against me in this way. Mm-hmm. Number one, I feel like we value people. I teach the pastors to value people, but we're also very discerning that if someone even begins to rise up, we'll confront it. For example, there was a lady when I was pastoring, and she kept on going to my co-pastor. And saying, oh, I like it when you preach. Why doesn't Bruce let you preach more? Oh. And, 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 and 
it was just a pattern where he was going and she was undermining me. Mm. But the pastor, the co-pastor, wasn't in it for his own glory. And he came to me and we talked about this thing and then we heard other things. So what I did is I went, we went over to her house and we said, we want to talk to you. And we sat down with her and we said, uh, did you say this? Did you say this? And, and, and there was Jim right there, the, the co-pastor, and, and, and he had to admit, oh, yes, I did say that. And I, I, I looked at it and I said, you know, Mary, I said, no problem. You know, you're sorry, you repent, you're forgiven. Let's move on. And then I said this. I said, but the second time you do it, you're out. Mm. And because I don't allow it, because what happens is it'll it'll defile the whole body. Mm-hmm. But there's no difference. I just said, fine, do it. Fine, but don't do it, don't don't do it again. Mm-hmm. Guess what? She started doing it again. And by the time I could get to her, she was out of the church. <laughs> she knew what was coming. <laughs> oh, wow! Because she had root rebellion. She had a matriarchal spirit. And and you know, it's just. Once you're, okay, let me let me tell this. In our leadership meeting, when we have a crisis, when we have a problem with someone in church, and like any church, you have a lot of problems. <laughs> you have financial things. You have people. We we have a lot of people that just fresh out of prison. They do stupid things, you know. But in our leadership meeting, whenever we have a crisis, we always ask this question: How do we deal with this in a kingdom manner? Mm. With the principles of God at the very heart that we can deal with it in love and we can deal with it in the timing of the Lord and we can deal with it in the way God wants us to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so as you say that, in your book you've spoken about the kingdom culture. What is a kingdom culture? A kingdom culture is a culture simply that runs by the principles of the of God's kingdom and not the principles of this world. It is a it is values and principles that are of the heart and are connected to the heart of God where he has control. It's not a protocol, oh we do this every time, we do this every time. No. It is a a respect and a and an abiding in God so that he can freely speak. And that we obey him. Or if we mess up and we do something wrong, that we take responsibility for it and we correct it. Mm-hmm. He, he is the king, period. Mm-hmm. And believe me, there's a, a, lots and lots and multitudes of, of churches and leader teams don't understand the principles of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I mean, the book that you read is just like part one of like, <laughs> I think I have like part four that I could wow. Wow. put out of just the principles of the kingdom, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just like how to value people, how to love, how to how to come up under and yet and yet still lead. How do you do that? How does one do that? Come up under but yet still lead. Is it what you were describing in terms of how you father person? So it is, you know, um allowing them to feel your presence, that you care, but still giving guidance, you know, um, and still pointing them to Christ? Yes. 
Um, I wish you could talk to the pastor that one of the pastors that I uh, I gave the church to about seven years ago, mm-hmm. and and I have worked with him every week. Uh, you say, you know, what does that mean um, to both serve and lead? I lead him because he defers respect to me. You see, um, in the kingdom, the kingdom of God is more about spiritual authority than it is about positional authority. Mm, What's the difference? Oh, there's a lot of people, Joanna, that have a positional authority, but they don't have the spiritual authority with it. And it doesn't work. A a spiritual authority would be the the veteran they have. For example, you have people who are pastors that don't have any clue how to pastor. Okay. And and they they, they have a position and they're operating on a position, but they don't have the spiritual veteran or authority Mm -hmm. to succeed in that. And so what happens is that the people are surrounding those decisions become victims of somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. So I get together with Sean, who's the pastor, and and I I work with him. I correct him. Uh, in, in that way, I lead him by by giving him advice and, and wisdom and prof, prof, prophetic words. And Ruthie with his wife, Tammy, about where he should go and how he should lead. And, and I'm there. And he, he's opened up to me to correct him. But in the same way, I come up under him and I allow him to make failure. I allow him to fail. Mm-hmm. I allow him to do what I know won't work, but he has to find that out for himself. Yeah. And so we had an individual that came into our church and he was going to be a counselor. And he had been abused. He had, I mean, he had a truckload of abuse. And I looked at him and said, bro, I said, I want to tell you something. I am here as your leader to make you the best God wants you to be. Mm-hmm. And that is my commitment to you. My commitment to you is not about me becoming, you make me look good. My commitment to you is that I want to make you look good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, again, in this whole um, discussion about um, you know, fathering and mentoring and leadership. You know, you speak about correcting. And also in your book, you spoke about this, and we spoke about it last week on the show, about rebukes. And what what does a rebuke look like? Is, should it be harsh? I, I, I believe there's a place for rebuke. But again, it, the, the type of rebuke, Joanna, really depends upon the level of violation. I, okay, uh, recently I was working with someone who committed adultery, a man. Mm-hmm. He got a very stiff rebuke, okay? He, I mean, he needed a rebuke that he had committed adultery. So my rebuke was very stern, mm-hmm. not angry. He just needed a very, I mean, I, I wasn't just, go, I was gonna, wasn't coming up to him and saying, oh, poor little old Jew, you did wrong. He did something that he knew was wrong, and he violated his wife, and he violated his family. Mm-hmm. And so in that, it was a very stern rebuke. But he was in a place where he could receive it. 
Mm-hmm. Was it but a public are, rebuke? No. No, I didn't. I wasn't in that position to publicly rebuke him. Okay. And, and also, it was a personal matter that he had opened up to a team of men, but we, we kept it confidential. It, we're, we're very careful about bringing to, to the front of the church, you know, and not sure that always the best way to do it. So, uh, in fact, I've seen a lot of abuse happen. And, but anyway, so we worked with him. And, and as of this today, I question somebody who knows what's going on in his life because I've been detached because we've been traveling and stuff for the last couple of months. And I said, how, how are they doing? And the person who is intricately involved more than anyone else said, doing very, very well. But there's other times where I don't even, I rebuke someone, but I don't even call it a rebuke. I call it, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to correct you in what you're doing, but let me show you what you could have done or a more excellent way. So I try to make, I, I, I do, I try to make, my rebukes positive moving forward rather than pointing my finger and say bad boy bad girl mm-hmm. now sometimes you have to do that because they need it i would say 99 percent of the times that i correct someone or rebuke someone it's in a very warm way that can be received mm-hmm. and not that it has to be it's just that's the way i operate okay and you spoke about metrons um, you spoke about Sydney Book and you mentioned it a while ago. Could you share a, a little bit more on that for us, please? Metron is a very uh, it's a biblical word that we that's translated measure because a metron is like a measuring cup, okay? But in the in terms of the, how the Bible uses it, where it says each one is given grace according it says to the measure of the grace of God. That word measure is metron. Mm-hmm. Each one is given grace according to the metron of the grace of Christ. And another one says to everyone is given faith, Romans 12, according to the metron of God. Okay, mm-hmm. so Ephesians chapter 4 uses the term metron four times. What a metron is, it's your place of spiritual authority. It's the place where you were given software to operate in a certain way. It is the place where you operate and it works. And when you're doing it, it gives you life. Mm. It's, it's, it's diversity. And mm. in, in Ephesians 4, which I think verses 1 through 14, or 11 through 14, or 11 through 16, let's say, is totally the way church should operate. Mm-hmm. It's not about it's not about exalting these upfront leaders. It's about the true revival that we need. The true power of Christ comes when when the whole body is released, and and it says that when every metron does its part, every joint, every metron does its part, we arrive at the metron of the fullness of Christ. It says that right there. We arrive at the metron of the fullness of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that the church has to learn to do, that's one of the things believers have to learn how to do, is to celebrate diversity. Mm-hmm. We to celebrate the fact that we are different and we see things different. And that's the way God made us. 
for good. Right. And I, in your book, you also spoke about, in light of these metrons, achieving unity and not necessarily uniformity. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I, was asked, I was asked to speak at a meeting at once where the, the local historical society was coming together and merging with the Chamber of Commerce, which were two other, other, and they were all excited about this merger. Well, for their annual banquet, as this was happening, they invited me to come in and speak on unity. And I shocked them. Uh, in fact, some of them didn't like it because they wanted this pleasant little thing called unity. And I said, you know, sometimes unity draws blood. Oh, unity, unity is one of the hardest things in the world to do. And uniformity is cloning. You know, it is absolutely, it, it's absolutely what certain religious systems do. They try to make everyone clones. For example, there, there are certain places like, like, for example, people that have the metron of being hospitable and, and they're very pastoral and they're loving and they're caring and whatever in different ways. It's just like there's, there's pastors who try to make everyone that way. Well, everyone's not that way. Not everyone's supposed to be that way. Mm -hmm. And and so we we get these ideas of thinking that, oh, the way we do things is the best way, so we want everyone to be like us instead of releasing everybody to be like God made them to be. Yes, and I like the example you gave in the book. I'm just going to ask you to give the example of, I think it was Johnny, who spilled milk on the floor. Yes. You want me to share that? Yes, please. <laughs> okay, so I, I said, and I said, I'm at, I'm at a church, and this is just a hypothetical situation that didn't happen, but I'm at, at a church, and and we're going, and we're having a potluck meal after after the church service. So we're going through, we get all these these uh, nice goodies on our plate, and there's a sign over on the side that says, "Be careful, wet floor." Somebody just knocked the floor. And then I pick out someone, let, let's say Johnny, let's say Johnny. And, and Johnny walks right over the wet floor, slips and falls. And food goes all over the place. I said, how do the different ones respond? Well, you have people who are more, uh, they're just like truth people. They're like, sometimes they're called the prophets. You know, they come up and say, can't you read the sign? But then you also, on the other side, you have people that are totally opposite that are mercy motivated. And they'll come up and say, oh, are you all right? You know, you know, sorry this happened. Then you have my wife who is a giver. She'll come up and say, here, have some of my food. You know? <laughs> then you have an administrator who says, you go get a mop, you go get a bucket, blah, blah, blah. And you have all these different people that respond to every situation in totally different ways according to their metron. Who's right? We need them all. Yeah. We need them all in every situation. You know, now in some situations, some may have the preeminence and be the more important gift to have or veteran to have. Mm -hmm. But until we learn to celebrate and value diversity, oh, we will never have, we will never have the the working out of the true church yeah. and as, as part of the kingdom. As we come to a close, um, I would like to ask two things. Could you describe the perfect picture of the kin kingdom culture, including maybe five principles, and then another five principles of how we can get there, or five steps to getting there. 
number one, that the perfect picture is that uh, one of the one of the things I would say is that it's an environment where everybody is about valued. There has to be a value that 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 just that resonates with everything. Mm-hmm. People are valuable no matter who they are. Yeah. Nobody's better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. You have to get off the world's social status ladder and stop comparing yourself with other people. Mm-hmm. I would say next is you have to celebrate diversity. Mm. And we already said that. So mm-hmm. it's valued people. It's celebrating diversity. The third place is to be a safe place to be who you are. That is, in my marriage, Joanna, Ruthie has to have a safe place to be able to share her opinion, her thoughts, and even the things that she disagrees with me. Mm-hmm. And we do it relationally. We don't do it in competition. And same way in a kingdom culture, there has to be that safe place. Uh, next, I think there has to be a culture of healthy communication. Mm-hmm. It is a place where kingdom cultures break down because of the lack of healthy communication. Mm-hmm. And that means when I make a decision as a leader and my decision affects other people, I have to communicate with the people that my decision affects. Or they're mm. going to be wounded. Mm. And the fifth one is confrontation. Mm-hmm. Problems need addressed. Any kind small problem, if they're not addressed, will turn into major issues. Yeah. Now, there's a skill and a wisdom to addressing problems, including the right timing and the right way, and who does it, and all that. But mm-hmm. passive cultures will never be effective as a kingdom culture if people are not being shown a more excellent way and their problems aren't being addressed in a very healthy way. Mm-hmm. So the other question you say of what we have to do to get there yes. is so we have to be people who know who we are. Mm. We have to know who we are. We have to walk in identity, healthy identity because and number two, we have to get off the throne of our life. We can't be about us. We have to be about God while we re- and others while we respect our own healthy uh, identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say three, we need to educate ourselves on the principles. That means what does the Bible say? We need knowledge of what the kingdom culture is like. And knowledge is incredibly important. We need to build ourselves up. And then we need an environment of the one another's where we're constantly provoking one another to love and good work. The 60 one another's in the Bible that we we help one another, we sing songs to one another, we challenge one another, we love one another, we encourage one another. In my book, I call it calling to life. Everybody, I, we talk about it all the time in our church. A healthy culture is a culture where everybody is calling everybody else to life, calling them to their potential, calling them to their God there. Thank you so much, Bruce. Um, just before we close, I wanted to ask you to just leave with our listeners the one thing you really want them to remember, and then just to pray over them. You know, as we spoke about in this time, 
Many persons have been hurt, wounded by leaders, and as you pointed out, many leaders have been wounded by congregants. And if we continue in our woundedness, we'll hurt people, hurt people, and we will continue to hurt each other. And there won't be healing in the church and won't be able to serve God in the way he desires, as well as we won't be able to reach people in the way that God desires of us, because they won't see a true representative of Christ in the earth when they look at us. And so I just will ask for you to pray for our listeners as well. I will say the one thing I say, remember, is that no matter what happens to us, negatively in our life, whatever, God will use it. You can become bitter or better. And if you become bitter, you are a loser in that situation. Realize that every experience we have makes us a better person and it enables us to help other people who have gone through the same thing that we've gone through. So Father, I just pray that uh, those listening to this, that this truth, will funnel into their head. Father God, if they have a funnel uh, of truth, it will go down and fill their spirit far beyond what their brain can hold, mm. but not beyond what their spirit can hold. And we pray that the kingdom culture may prevail in Jamaica. And Lord, even leaders and pastors that are hearing this, and, and many of you know the many who have read my book that have repented to their people and repented to their leadership team, if there's leaders out there that haven't been fathers, that haven't walked according to the kingdom culture, that they will know the glory of breaking their agreement and repentance. And we just praise you and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, um, Bruce, for coming on the show and for sharing your personal experiences, as well as the principles from your book. My listeners can find the link to purchase the book on Amazon on my personal page. Uh, that's Instagram, Journeying with Joe. You can find the link on my page, and it is a very good book. I, I encourage everyone to get it, whether you're a leader in the church, a leader in your business, a manager in your business, even the head of a family. I believe it is something that is important for us to know as we seek to empower each person as a leader in Christ to establish kingdom culture in the earth. And so I just, again, want to thank you, Bruce, for coming on the show. Well, thank you. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside.